Love and marriage. God created this as the first relationship on planet Earth was a marriage. Adam and Eve. And God created love, and love comes out of him, and he wants to protect love. Rejection, when love is broken, there's betrayal and there's division, that breaks the heart of God. So he created covenant to protect love. Because love was out of his essence, out of his heart, and he wants that to last. So he made covenant with us, a lifelong eternal covenant with us, unbreakable commitment that he gave to us. So he wants his love to pour out in our hearts, our whole lives, and into eternity. Marriage is designed to be lifelong. Marriage is designed as a covenant, unbreakable. And so this is what we are celebrating and learning about today. It is my honor to introduce to you our four speakers. And um, they, these are servants to our family. And we are just so grateful that the Tracys and Bates are willing to share out of their lives today. So uh, we'll have uh, Daryl Tracy will come up first, and then Fred Bates will come up second. Thirdly uh, will be uh, Beth Bates, and then lastly, Carol Tracy. Then we're going to do a switcheroo, and we're going to bring up some stools up here, and I'm going to MC, and we're going to take some of your questions uh, we actually have a texting number that you can start sending in questions right now. And your questions will go to this number. Uh, they'll be sent to me and uh, so that I can kind of look at these and we can work through as many as we have time for at the end. And uh, so feel free to uh, anytime as the speaker is speaking, anytime from here until uh, the end to text this for uh, with your questions. So um, I'm going to say a prayer, and then uh, Daryl will come up first. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for um, your love for us and how you want to protect it with covenant. Lord, help us, Lord God, to be a, a people who love well in our relationships, in our family, in our marriages. We ask that your Holy Spirit be a teacher to each one of us uh, on love, commitment, covenant, and marriage. And bless each speaker as they they share. And Lord, we thank you. You have something for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, okay, Daryl. Let's give Daryl Tracy a big hand as he comes. Okay, so are we on? Mm-hmm. Okay. If you recall, I did a little message uh, on New Year's Eve called Getting Back to the Basics. And I'm going to get real basic today. I kind of believe if you get the basics right, the other things will take care of themselves. So my intent today is, give a, is to give a biblical view of God's perspective on marriage. And I think that... Uh, You know, we can agree today in our society that there's a foundational breakdown in a lot of our society. And in my opinion, the reason for this breakdown is the breakdown in the family. A family begins with a father and a mother and their marriage. 
So as I said, my goal today is to give God's perspective on marriage. And to get to get his viewpoint, we're going to go back to the beginning and start with Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. So it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So what verse 18 tells us basically is it wasn't good for man to be alone. And this affirms something that I think we instinctively know. Human beings are made for relationships. We flourish when there's love in our relationships. And verse 19 and 20 tells us that Adam named all the beasts of the field. Every beast, every animal, uh, every bird, he named them. We have two verses on this, and it seems to go by pretty fast. But I think for Adam, this was a, a much bigger task than we can imagine. And, and it probably took days. It may have even taken weeks for him to get all them named. And it really was quite an accomplishment on his part. He must have been very intelligent and well-spoken. But to name every animal and every bird is a whole lot of naming. I'm sure he was tired and he maybe was wondering a little bit about there was all these male and female animals, but he was the only guy around. So, But that was getting ready to change. So let's look now to the next two verses in this text, Genesis 2, 21 and 22. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. So this uh, is the first application of anesthesia and surgery ever performed right here. And, uh, you know, and moving on from that, the, the part that God took that rib and made the woman, in the Hebrew, the word normally used for made is A-S-A-H. However, the word in verse 22 for making the woman is P-A-N-A-H. It means built or skillfully formed. So we know, we notice that she was taken from his side, but I, I, I want to back up a little bit. So it, the women are a little bit more special than us is in their making phase is kind of what that tells me. We were just made, but they were skillfully made. And, and I think that's obvious just from looking, the physical. But anyway, but she was taken from his side. there by meaning that she walked alongside of him to be his equal. She was taken from under his arm, meaning that he was to protect her. And she was taken from close to his heart meaning that he was to love her. So I think that he did love her is obvious from his response. Next two verses, verses 23 and 24 of Genesis 2. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So that right there is God's perspective on marriage. One man, one woman, they leave their parents and they're joined together and become one. 
But the very first words spoken by man recorded in Scripture are Adam's joyous outburst at seeing Eve his bride. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. When Adam sees Eve, it's a moment of self-discovery. He recognizes that she's his equal, a person like himself, who he can give himself as a gift. Yet, she's just not a mere replica of him. She and he have physical differences that are evidently designed for union. So physically, hormonally, emotionally, psychologically, they are perfectly complementary to each other. The woman, unlike the animals, can receive and freely reciprocate Adam's gift of himself. They can form a covenant of love that is faithful, fruitful, and lifelong. Jesus quotes this verse 24 in Matthew 19.5 and Mark 10.7, thereby affirming what Genesis teaches, teaches concerning the two-part sexuality of humankind created male and female, and the institution of marriage is given by God. Now this is given in a double sense as it's given and non-negotiable. This is the only marriage that God uh, affirms. And it's also given as a gift. Now we see in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 that the Lord took the man and he put him in the garden to work it and keep it. So the man's a gardener, he's a farmer, he's taking care of the garden. And in the context of that, he said it wasn't good for man to be alone, but that he needed a helper. So a careful study of this, or if you put this in context, what it's saying is, Man just doesn't need just a woman for his aloneness, but he needs a woman to help him, to, to make him complete, to help him with taking care of the garden. So she's there to love. She's there to help him take care of things. And then the third way the woman compliments the man is to be his partner in leading and nurturing the children. Balanced parenting requires love, care, support, and discipline from both parents. Now, my generation kind of had the wrong idea on this. We thought that women took care of the children, men worked, and, and earned a living. But this was wrong. It, it's Children need both parents equally. I learned this lesson the hard way when my first wife died. I didn't have a relation, uh, an established relationship with my two teenage children. This kept me from being able to guide them through some challenging times in their lives. They'd lost their mother. And there was a lot of transition going on. So dads and moms should both be involved in every aspect of their children's life. Hopefully parents will have complementary personalities and skills to assist each other in effective parenting. I want to close with one New Testament scripture. It's found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30 through 32. It says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So just as Adam declared that Eve was bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh, this verse is telling us that as members of his body, we are joined to Christ in the same way. Therefore, we are the bride of Christ. Our marital relationships are a picture of Christ in the church. And our relationship with Jesus is to be a love relationship, working together relationship, and an ever-increasing family relationship where new births and discipleship 
are happening ongoing. Amen. Well, good morning. So I'm going to touch on uh, that verse that uh, Daryl really just talked about uh, in marriage. Um, Beth and I have had the honor to be married. It'll be 30 years this year, and um, she has loved me and put up with me all those years, um, especially my military career um, that I just finished up. And Beth was mo- part of that for most of that. And the, along the way, we had some opportunities to have people speak into our lives, We had different organizations, different marriage conferences that the military put on or other people that just help us, um, just help us in our marriage. Didn't mean it was always easy. Didn't mean there weren't challenges. Didn't mean I wasn't a pain in the butt on many days. Um, Notice I said me. Um, And it's just, there's just ways along the way that people spoke into our lives. And I think one of the most important things that Beth and I had along the way is this graphic that I'm going to show up. You can find this out on the internet many different places, um, just talking about the triangle of marriage. Um, but I also want you to think of it because I did some digging and found that there's also many people that talk about this triangle as the triangle of relationships. So if you're not married yet or you were married, this is just as applicable to you in your relationships with people today. And the verse that Daryl talked about, talked about, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And that graphic, go ahead and put that back up. Dave, if you'll see that there, God's at the top of that relationship in that triangle. Not your work, not your church, not your mom, your dad, her mom, her dad. And notice what is not at the top. Your children are not at the top of that relationship. They are not. And Beth and I had a pastor that spoke about this one time and talked about that in this this relationship, the husband and the wife come closer together as they pursue relationship with each other, which brings them closer to God. And as I said, you can substitute. If you're a person that has lost a husband or wife, God can bring other relationships into your life that you can partner together, that grow closer together in your relationship with God. If you're not married yet or you're single, that's the same thing that God wants. It's that picture that he gives us of becoming closer to him in relationship with other people. But the thing that Beth and I like so much about this when this pastor talked about it, uh, Pastor Jason Pettis, um, was that you notice what's also not in the center of that triangle. Anybody have a guess? What is the one thing most people think would be in the middle of that triangle? Money would be one. What else? What else do you think might most of us put in the middle of that triangle? Our kids, right? God didn't say in here, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his children and his wife. He doesn't put that in there. There's a reason, and the reason is is because as we go through life, especially in a marriage relationship, if we're becoming closer together and coming closer to the Father, the children, our families, our jobs, other relationships should be outside of that triangle. They should be, because if we're working to come closer together and closer to God, then God will take care of 
those relationships around us because life is going to be hard. Life will be a challenge. Other relationships can let us down. They will. Our children aren't going to be perfect. All three of my sons are not perfect because, unfortunately, they all have characteristics of me. Um, Their good characteristics come from their mother. Um, And my boys and I all joke about, young men now, all joke about sometimes about, yeah, Dad, I act this way because of you. And I'm like, I know. I know. You're welcome. You appreciate it. But I think that shows us how God wants us in our relationships, especially in our marriage relationships, to make God the center and let the rest of the world float around it. Because when it comes push to shove, that verse talks about us coming together as a husband and a wife. And he ordained that because what does it give us the example of? It gives us the example of our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why he put that triangle force together. I think that's why that just shows us so much of how God is trying to do that. So I just want to encourage you today. I'm not telling you to leave the other things aside and not pay attention to them floating around your orbit, but keep what's most important, most important. And that's your relationship with each other. And then always pointing to your relationship with Jesus Christ and God the Father. Thank you. Okay, first I want to say that I am preaching to myself. Anything I say is because the Lord has already convicted me of it. Um, Your spouse is not your enemy. When we were first married, we won a trip to a marriage conference. We won it on the radio, and they said, um, your spouse is not your enemy. And I thought, wow, that we'd been married a year. And I thought, that's really silly. You know, why would anybody say that? Why would your spouse be your enemy? And a couple years down the road, I realized, oh, now I understand why he said that. Um, the verse I want to give is Ephesians six twelve. for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the ruler's against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And if you read through the armor, you will realize that the first piece of the armor that's listed is the belt of truth. So what lies is the enemy telling you about your spouse? He doesn't love me. He doesn't appreciate me. And what lies is the enemy telling you about yourself? You deserve more. You deserve better. And this applies to anybody. Satan lies to everybody about anything. He is the father of lies. Your marriage is meant to be a safe place. God designed your marriage to be a safe place. But Satan is trying to steal it. He's trying to lie to you on a daily basis Will you choose to believe him or choose to believe to put on your belt of truth and recognize the lies? The next verse, um, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And that's Philippians 4, 6, 4, 8. 
apply that scripture to your thoughts about your spouse. How does your thought life look when you think about your spouse? How do you talk to your spouse about other people? Are you negative? Do you complain? What words come out of your mouth about your spouse? What thought patterns are you speaking over yourself? What lies is Satan telling you? Choose to change your thoughts. Pray that the Lord changes your thoughts and the words that come out of your mouth, but also you have a part to play. You can't just say, Lord, I prayed about it and you didn't choose me, but you have to choose to obey. You have to pick up that cross daily and you have to think about the words that come out of your mouth. John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they might have life to the full. The Lord wants your marriage to be great. Jesus doesn't want you to be miserable. So our responsibility is to fix it. And how do we do that? Don't be afraid to get counseling. Wise people admit that they can't do it on their own. There is a counselor in town named Todd Claypool with Capernaum Care. If you want more information about him, he's a great counselor. He he and his wife hold marriage conferences, and um, he is a great resource. We have also done, if any of you have heard about the Enneagram, It helps people to understand how their spouse is wired and how you are wired. And I think the funny thing is that opposites attract, and then after you get married, those are the same reasons why you want to kill each other. (laughs) So um, it just, the Enneagram helps you to understand yourself and why I do what I do. And it's, you can do you can um, click on that and pay $12 for the actual test, which is better and more extensive, or you can do the free test. But it's just a great resource. So thanks for letting me share today. That was really good, everybody. Okay, I'm going to take a different perspective than... I'm going to go from a counseling perspective. My topic is life is relationships. The rest is just details. Let's face it, none of us grew up in perfect families. Therefore, we often enter relationships with fears, unrealistic expectations, and unmet needs. I would like to share with you some information. When Daryl and I have also, this is, we've been married 30 years also, just like you and Fred, um, this year. And when when we were getting ready to get married, um, I was entering the counseling program at Asbury Theological Seminary. And while in that um, program, I ran into a book. It's called The Premarital Counseling Book by Norman Wright. And in that book, it has the characteristics of healthy families laid out and the characteristics of unhealthy families, dysfunctional families laid out. These characteristics gave me a compass to base the direction I wanted my life 
and our family to move. If you don't know where you're headed, you sure don't know how to get there. And so I'm like, I, I, I thought maybe other, I mean, I was in my 40s. And I'm like, maybe other people already know this, but I didn't. And so this book gave me clear, these characteristics make up a healthy family. Many factors combine to make us who we are. The atmosphere of a home, especially relationship with our parents, has a significant impact on shaping identity and behavior. Healthy individuals help make up healthy families. Let's take a look at some of the characteristics of a functional or a healthy family. The climate of the home is positive and non-judgmental. Each member is valued for who or sh- who he or she is. Each person is allowed to operate in his or her proper role. Adults act like adults. Children get to be children. Members of the family care for one another. They verbalize their caring and speak words of affirmation to each other. I remember when my sons were um, older grade school or middle school, um, speaking words of affirmation was very difficult for me. I, had, I could be very critical and negative and harsh. And I remember one night I was telling them good night, praying with them before they went to bed, and God spoke to my heart and he said, you've got to quit saying those negative things to your children. You're, you're really destroying them. He said, I want you to start saying what I say about them. And I'm like, yes, I, I knew in my heart that was right. But, you know, change doesn't happen easily. So at that point, I'm like, God, you're right. I'm going to start trying to do that. I'm going to start trying to speak what you have to say about them. Did I ever do it wrong again? Absolutely. But that was a turning point, and I began to say, I remember what he told me to say to my oldest son when I put him in bed. He'd say, say, you are a young man of God. And, and so I began to speak those things that God said about them. And God was changing me. In the contrast of the characteristics of healthy, a healthy functional family, yeah, well, okay, the characteristics of an unhealthy dysfunctional family are the opposite of a healthy family. There's a lack of acceptance, openness, affirmation, communication, love, and togetherness. Typically, these unhealthy families focus on a problem, addiction, trauma, or some secret rather than on the child. The home is often shame and blame-based in contrast to a healthy home that is love and acceptance-based. I want to say that again. That, that's really key to what makes these families healthy or unhealthy. The, the unhealthy home is shame and blame-based. The healthy home is love and acceptance-based. But don't despair if you're aware of some of these unhealthy characteristics in your life or in your family. Change is possible. If you struggle in any of these areas, don't give up. We can't change our past. We can't change others. But with God's help, we can change ourselves. Ask God for help 
and keep trying. Don't give up. The outcome will be so worth it. You might be thinking, well, how can I change? I don't even know how to, where, I don't even know where to begin to change these things. 2 Corinthians three sixteen through 18 states, this is in NLT translation. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is a spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is a spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. First, we've got to recognize what we're doing that we're not happy about, that's not pleasing God. Then what do we do? We turn to him. We don't try to figure it out. We don't try to fix it ourselves. We turn to him. And we ask him, Holy Spirit, show me what you want me to do. Show me what needs to change. Help me be more like Jesus. Jesus knows you. He loves you. And he is committed to finishing his work in you. So he's there to help you change. Then in John 8, 31 through 32, this is out of the message translation, states, Then Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe in in him. If you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples. Then you will experience for yourselves the truth, and the truth will free you. The truth of God's word will change us. It has changed me. Don't just read the word for information. Read it for revelation and transformation. It's a living word. It's a word that's live. God knows how to take it and speak to your heart and change you. So stay in the word. Stay connected to Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit speak through you when you read his word. Okay. And, And then I agree with what Beth said. If you need help, talk to a counselor. We have more than once. That's right. We're, we're in a blended family. Things can be very complicated. Um, sometimes right and wrong, sometimes things aren't clear. You know, there's some things that are clearly right and wrong. There's some things that are not clear. So sometimes you need help sorting all those things out. So don't be afraid to talk to a counselor. Seeking godly counsel is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. So don't be afraid to do that. Whatever um, it, the situation is, God can use other people to help us. Okay, I want to, now I'm going to switch just a second and talk about blended families. Um, how many of you all have ever watched a Hallmark movie? Okay. Have you ever seen in the Hallmark movie how... Um, you know, obviously there's two people that are going to fall in love. And one of them already has a child. And that child just loves the other person that's going to be their step-parent. That's not reality. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Because <laughs> when you come into a blended family, you have, you know, my kids have gone through a divorce. His kids had gone through the death of their mother. Um, you have people that are wounded and hurt and and you live with people that, you know, you don't know what all's going through their head. It could be if, if I show love to this other parent, it's like I'm rejecting the one 
that's not in my life anymore. There's a lot of different loyalties can be there. There's hurt. There's There can be resentment. Um, so when we got married, um, Daryl's oldest daughter was already married. So then two of his kids and, and my two kids were living with us. We had four young adults living with us. The ages were approximately 20, 19, 18, and 17. And boy, can I tell you some funny stories. I'm, I'm, I thought of two, but I'm only going to share one of them with you. So we start out, you know, okay, none of us have ever been a part of this blended family thing before. Um, so we're all getting to know each other, and, you know, some things are going really well. And, and so, okay, I start out. I'm doing all the laundry. So there's a mountain of laundry with all these kids. I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't do everybody's laundry. So, okay, okay, kids, everybody does their own laundry. Okay, that sounds like that work, doesn't it? Uh, no, because then somebody puts their clothes in the washer, and then somebody else dumps them, and then somebody else has their clothes in the dryer, and they dump them. So now we have mountains of wet clothes, wrinkled clothes, everybody's clothes. And so some things you just got to laugh about. <laughs> it's just, this is just funny. And so, okay, so then we made a schedule. So each person, we signed them a day that they could do their laundry. <laughs> so you can do your laundry on Tuesday, and you can do it on Wednesday. So we had lots of things like that. It's all learning to work together and, and work things out. For the glory of God. Um, all of our children, okay, I just want to throw this out. All of our children had either experienced the death of a parent or, or a divorce. And I'm sure there were wounds, unspoken loyalties, and resentments. So walking in forgiveness was really important. Not holding grudges. Not blaming. Um, and I want to share with you all, um, we had a motto when we got married. It was stay true, play hurt, and finish strong. We ran into that right after we got married. And that has been so valuable. That's how we've walked out our relationship together. We, we came into the relationship, both of us committed to God and committed to each other. We're not looking for a way out. We're in this together. We're going to grow together. We're going to learn together. We're going to stay close to Jesus and we're going to stay true to each other. Play hurt. We, we, we've gone through some tough things. Um, our kids have been broken. Um, we've been through hurtful things. We've had elderly parents live with us. Um, we just have covered all kinds of different things. But in that, even when it hurts, we're staying true to each other, and we're staying with Jesus. He's our rock. He's how we started out. And, and I want to throw this out. This came to my mind while I was sitting there. We can't expect the other person to meet all of our needs. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one's enough, whether we're married, single, whatever state we find ourselves in. He's the one that satisfies. And so we stay true. We play hurt. And so now we're finishing strong. That's, that's where we are in life right now. We want to stay on course. We want to stay um, living a life that gives glory to God and to each other. A good marriage takes hard work and commitment. 
don't assume things will just work out. You've got to work at it. Mm-hmm. Read books. Communicate. Communication is top. Very important. Get godly counsel. Pray together. Keep following Jesus. With Jesus, your family can be a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. It may not be easy, but it can be so worth it, and Jesus can be glorified. Amen. Amen. Wow. You guys, y'all get, you guys are a good team here. Y'all come on, walk your way up here on stage. We're going to get some stools up here. I'm going to move myself to the side. And um, so, Daryl and Carol, while you got the microphone there, and y'all come on up. How many children do you have? How many sons and daughters-in-laws do you have? How many grandchildren do you have? You know, give us some numbers uh, for you guys. What are the numbers like? We have uh, five children between us. We have 13 grandchildren and four great-grandchildren, one son-in-law, two daughters-in-laws. I think that's all. There's a lot of people in our family now. (laughs) You ought to see Christmas. That's our that's our picture, but, that that, picture, but yeah. that's not all and of that's us. That's not all of them. Yeah, but uh-huh. that's right. most of us. Right. All right. All right. And the Bates, you have three grown sons. Uh, they all are living in Colorado. So, oh no! Please don't move away. Uh, no, that's that's where they live. That's not where we live. <laughs> all right. Good. Good. All right. That phone number's up here on the screen again. You can send us questions right now. And I'll be getting those. I want to start off with a question uh, in a stage of life that you guys are not in right now, and that is parenting young children. All right, and uh, or you st- or, or you know, there's a busy, there's different types of busy seasons in marriage. One is that those little ones, and they have so much energy, they need so much attention. They do grow up in those middle school, high schools. They don't have need as much attention. Because they can dress themselves, yet now they can brush their own teeth. But they have sports schedules. They have clubs. They have places they want to go. So you're in a minivan driving all around. How does these seasons, busy seasons, affect your marriage, the romance and intimacy of a marriage, and what are some uh, practical things you can do about it? I'll, I'll say the first thing. The first thing for any couple at whatever stage of your life, you have to learn to say no. You have to. Your kids can't play every sport. They can't do every activity. You can't go to every family event. I was talking to a lady that's a friend of mine and was talking about her schedule at the holidays, and I looked at her and I said, at some point, figure out how to start saying no. You have to. She's like, yeah, because every year things are too crazy. Okay, so you change it because everybody else isn't. So there has to be a balance in marriage. You have to remember that triangle that I showed you. That has to be the two of you together and then your family around it, your kids, and then everything else. So at times you're going to have to figure out as a couple some of those decisions to make. Beth and I, at one point, we made the decision. It was hard on our family, our my parents and others, but we decided to make it easier when our sons were in college. Thanksgiving was at home because then they only had to travel once. And that was hard, but it was a decision we had to make as a family And then we would do other holidays with our family. But we made Thanksgiving about them coming to us. So that's one thing I would just say for 
Families, especially with little kids, sometimes you have to figure out how to find that balance and say no to other things. You just have to. All right, someone else. Carol? I'd just Thank say you, make time for yourself. Prioritize that time where you and your spouse, maybe after the kids go to bed, that, that you still have open communication. Um, that's one thing that we've learned to do. Um, we have different styles of communicating, and I interrupt him, and he's like, I'm not done yet. And so I've learned <laughs> to wait and let him finish. <laughs> and um, so, but, but make sure you still have that time to sit down. And, and when you're a stay-at-home mom, you really need adult conversation, somebody that you can process your day with and, and what you're happy about and what's been really hard. And, and so I make time to stay connected. All right, all right. I want to say um, prioritize date night. Even if you don't spend lots of money, you know, you can go to the park and get KFC and eat on a picnic blanket, um, make time for each other, make that a priority in your schedule. Mm -hmm. Right. So these things you're talking about, you have to put it in your schedule because the week will get busier and busier and then it'll just get pushed out if you don't have it as like an appointment there, a date night, even talk time. Term we use, and it, it, it had some more implications. I won't go in it, into it, but couch time. You know, we this is our couch time for mom and dad to talk. You know, for fifteen minutes. You know, so you have to have terms. You have to set this this aside. You have to get it in the calendar. Another thing you have to do with you, little children is you got to find the trusted babysitters in your community. You you gotta you have them on speed dial. You you. And you plan in advance. You get your babysitter's husband. You do it for you. Husbands, you initiate. We, we don't have a date yet uh, on the calendar for a date night. You initiate. Let's look at the calendar tonight before we go to bed. So who's going to call the babysitter? You want me to do that? Y'all, you men initiate it because that shows you're initiating that romantic love to them. And get this thing scheduled. You've got to have trusted babysitters or it won't happen, you know. And, uh, and, and, and talk to others about that. And All right. even if you switch off babysitting with other families so that you don't have to pay for babysitting. Come on now. You can get creative, right? You can find, you can find an answer. All right, now here's another one for, that it's related to uh, parenting season, children in the home. What, have, what does it do to your marriage when the, your parenting approach is different than your spouse and... You are going in different directions with a child on how to respond or correct discipline, something like that. What happens when you're not in unity, and which is kind of you know happen? You have to deal with that, right? So what what happens, and then how do you how do you approach it? Go to a counselor. <laughs> to go to counselor. <laughs> yeah. And in uh, Todd Claypool's one, Martin Mallory is another one that's been with us uh, on our campus Wednesday afternoon during the day and evenings. Uh, he's uh, just you know spirit-filled, well-trained. He's a uh, adjunct professor at Asbury Seminary. Another one that's available. We will help you financially to start those counseling sessions if that's an issue. Uh, so th- that's true. You know, if you can't resolve it between at home, you've tried, then go get some help. Uh, Dolores and I, as far as marital uh, issues, and you know, we we have we we love to meet with couples. We love to, we love to understand what the the uh, this the, the center of the tension, the conflict, the misunderstanding. We want to get in there and pray with you. We'll have good counsel, 
and we'll say, hey, Martin or Todd, or let's find another counselor for you to walk this out, uh, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a real way. So what else? Speaking the truth in love. Okay. Um, first, you've got to lay it on the table to see where you stand and where the other spouse stands. Mm-hmm. And if, if you can't come to, I mean, and don't be afraid to say, I'm wrong, because mm-hmm. that's always possible, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, right. Sure, it's possible. Yeah, and if, <laughs> if you can't come to a place of agreement, then that's time to get godly counsel. Good, good. Does somebody else want to add? And I would say don't, don't question your spouse in front of the kids when you're in the middle of an argument. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't agree with them, yeah. talk to your spouse about it later, and then he'll change his mind and go back and talk to you. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. And, yeah. And, I, and I would say to tie into what Beth said is there's some things that you're just going to have to figure out. There's, I'll give an example. Beth and I don't do Halloween. We never have. I grew up doing Halloween. I can tell you stories about doing crazy things for Halloween. Beth didn't. We had to have a conversation as a couple. Why did she feel how she felt? Why did I felt? Was it essential that we did that with our children? No, because of some concerns that we both had about what the holiday has become. So early in our marriage, we had to have that conversation. Is that the same decision that every family has to make? No, that's your decision. With God, Uh, he'll show you what you should or shouldn't do. But we had to come to a decision, and then we had to stick to it together. All three of our sons do Halloween now. They do. They do. They go to things at college. They go to parties, you know, with their friends and do that. They do that. But now they're adults, and they've made that choice. So I, I would say it's that communication that Carol talked about, and it's figuring out there are some things in conversations as parents that you have to talk about what's an essential and what's the thing that we can figure out together of how we'll work it out? Because every child might be different. Kind of rules are a little bit different. David got away with things that Andrew and Tyler never got away with. Yeah, absolutely. Because Youngest that happens. But you've got to figure out those things together. And then over the years, Beth and I had to say, how are we going to stick together when we've made a decision as a couple and not let the children come in between that decision? Because they're not in the middle of that triangle. They're on the outside of it. We have to keep together and work through that issue. Children very young, toddlers even younger than toddlers, will know when mom and dad are not in agreement on parenting. They know it, they, and they go, oh, they, they're like, they're scheming. I mean, they're little, little creatures can hardly talk, but they're scheming. Oh, I'm going to get this done with mom because when dad, he doesn't like. And so, so this is something that's all through uh, the child's growing up. You, they really need to see you and mom in, you know, both husband and wife, mom and dad in unity. So you do have to work on it. So that means you're, you're going to have to read a book or go to a parenting seminar. You're going to have to come to Lisa and I. We'd love to help you with some of these parenting issues and come to us. And, and let's be honest and let's work them out. And let's, you because know, it's, this is another area you study to grow and improve. You work hard at your marriage and you work hard at parenting. Okay. Got a question uh, from someone talking about job schedules. You're on different job schedules and, you know, you're, you're like an opposite, I think, with the person, you know, in, in opposite, you know, night shifts and, and one works weekends and one doesn't and so forth. And so you got this, uh, you know, in, in, that's a real challenge, isn't it? Impacts the whole family, the marriage, the children, the family. Any comments? 
Well, I would just say, you know, you have you have to make the most of the time that you have, and mm-hmm. uh, don't don't let it just slide by and not not pay any attention to. It. Make it a priority still to take the time that you do have where you can be together and and, and optimize that. Uh, you can't do anything about your job, or you can change jobs. You know, if, it, if it's a really big deal, there's other jobs. So, but if it, if that's not an option, then you have to optimize the time that you have that you can uh, work on your relationship. Did you? So that, the word that Beth has always used with me, especially when I was in the military, gone a lot, traveling, sometimes just crazy schedule was Beth was always reminding me that the time that I had with her and our sons, it had to be intentional. I couldn't just show up and be somewhere else. If I was there, I had to be intentional. And sometimes with one of our sons who was uh, running, that meant that I would come to an event in uniform, intentionally watch his race, intentionally go to lunch, not look at my BlackBerry (laughs) at the time, my phone. Beth had to always remind me, that if it's not somebody that highly outranks me, I shouldn't pick the phone up, um, which I had to be reminded about a lot, that they didn't outrank me. I was not picking that phone up. And then after I spent time with my family on a Saturday, well, then maybe I had to go work the next four hours. But the five hours I was with them that morning, Beth expected me to be intentional, and I appreciated that she held me accountable. She didn't nag me about it, but she just held me accountable about it, and we talked about that a lot. And that was important in our marriage that we both knew that we had to have that intentional time with our sons. <clears throat> That's good. That's good. And I've, I've seen couples, because the long-term situation was they weren't going to be hardly seeing each other. They, it took them, you know, a year or more, but they did change jobs. I mean, they changed jobs because they didn't want that extra stress long-term on their marriage and family. And it, it took a while, but, you know, because it's not easy to do that. And, uh, but it just ramps everything up. Maybe you don't do dates, date nights as often as some other couple you like, but still it's a priority and it's seen in the calendar uh, in family time as well. Okay, I'm going to um, do... Can I say something? Yeah, please. And sometimes things are just a season. Um, are you working on different schedules days and nights for 20 years or are you yeah. doing this for two years? Mm-hmm. Or do you, yeah. you know, I agree with Daryl, do you need to pray about making a change. I know it's a lot of work to find a new job, look for something different, but um, is it a season or is it a long-term thing? Right. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to go ahead and we're going to do one more question. And and so praise team could go ahead and come up. Um, Here's an interesting question. Uh, and, And you may have to help me with this. What's more important, solving her challenging or challenges or listening? So help me with the context of that, um, and and I think uh, uh, that was mine. A question I gave Stephen. Okay, I'm a guy, type A, military. I'm gonna solve everything. That was my. That's my personality. It is. So Beth always had to remind me, especially when we took that enneagram, which we did some personality studies like that along the way, but we did that a few years ago. That Beth has to remind me, even to this day, when I come into a conversation, I deliberately have to ask, am I solving this or am I listening? And sometimes I thankfully hear her say, which I need to hear, you're just listening. I don't, you need you to solve this. And I sit on my hands 
bite my tongue and shut up and listen. And guys, that's difficult for us. And for some women in the room, it might be difficult. And it might be difficult whether you're married or not in relationships, in life. So we just have to understand that sometimes it's we're just there to listen. We don't have to solve. And, and that's been the biggest thing I've had to work on over the years in our marriage. And I'm still working on it. <laughs> still working on it. So that's what that comes about. Of spend more time for both husband and wife. We all are in a society where everything, you remember in the 80s, we all wanted to solve everything in 30 minutes in a sitcom, right? Because everything got solved in the Huxtable's house in 30, sec- 30 minutes, right? That's what we saw in Happy Days. Everything got solved in 30 minutes. That's not real life. So at times we need to figure out, we need to spend more time listening and less time trying to solve each other's problems. And more time listening to each other and listening in prayer and wise counsel from other people too. All right. If you guys would put your microphones down on your stool because some of them are going to need it. Let's give these four a big hand. What an excellent group of couples just pouring out wisdom to us. So... Um, As we go into our last worship song here um, and getting ready for the the Valentine's meal there and and, uh, Honduras fundraiser, the triangle. Pastor Fred Bates, married people, uh, other pastors, you've married people. The symbolism of that triangle is at the altar where you have the groom and the bride and the pastor is represent is a physical representation that God is there in that covenant making ceremony and the pastor's not God but he resembles God and I want to tell you that whether a marriage is um between two Christian people or not, God created marriage as a covenant. And every wedding ceremony, God is there. And he says, I am here. Because as these two, now to be husband and wife, are covenant together to love each other all their days, I am available to bless that covenant. And that whatever comes up, because things will come up as the enemy, as Beth talked about, from the spirits of darkness will try to create division and enemies between each other and and the challenges of of life with children and work and losing job, whatever. There are going to be attacks on that covenant. God is saying, I am here. I'm available. Turn to me. Look to me. Grow closer to me. Get some Christian counseling. We have resources for you. You know, it's don't lose hope because God was at that covenant-making ceremony. Don't lose hope. God says, I can turn this around. I know it looks bad. I know it's been a lot of pain. It's been 20 years, and it's been a lot of pain in 20 years. But God can turn it around. He knows how to soften hearts. He knows how to turn that, that those back to each other, back to God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your covenant love. And we thank you that you were there at our wedding ceremony. And you said, I am your source in this covenant. 
I am your answer. I am the one to turn to. Trust in me. In this new season, this change that's going on in your life right now, I will help you through it. I will empower you with my grace. I will give you wisdom in this new season. I will give you uh, uh, forgiveness at another level to forgive and heal and unite again. Thank you, Lord, that you love marriage, you created marriage, and we're, we're receiving your blessing right now over our marriages, over our families. That, Lord, you are our strength. You are our source. And you give us hope that we have a wonderful future together. you to uh, just wait on the Lord a little bit longer during this uh, last worship song. Feel free to head on over to the fellowship hall at any time. I'm going to say a a quick blessing over the food so when you go over there, you go to a table uh, where you're going to sit, grab a plate, get in line uh, and uh, they're going to serve you. Let's pray over this meal. Father God, thank you that you bless this food and our fellowship together. We pray, Lord, for a spirit of generosity, Lord God, to come out today and this week uh, and, and, and moving forward for the uh, Honduras mission team and these young people uh, taking a step of faith uh, to serve you in another country, to give of your love. So we pray you bless them through all of this as well. Lord God, thank you that your spirit is working here and your spirit is working there in the fellowship hall and our time together in Jesus' name.